When I was in school, I had to take two different language courses. First course I had to take, most of all I took, was Spanish. I had to take Spanish. And then when I was in college and then seminary, I had to take, or I chose in some cases, to take Greek. Now, Greek is not the Greek spoken today in Greece. It's a dead language, but it's the languages in which the New Testament was written in. I, listen, Greek was a difficult class for me. I don't know what's been your toughest class in school or what your toughest class is right now. Geometry, never got it. Greek, it's Greek to me. I struggled through it in college. I struggled through it in seminary. And I remember this day like it was yesterday when I was in Fort Worth and I'd finished my Greek final exam, no more Greek. I was so happy. I took my Greek textbook, I threw it in my car, I drove home to my apartment, I called my roommate, I said, hey, I'm done with Greek, and you are gonna watch the burning of my Greek textbook because it's over. So got my Greek textbook, put it in our fireplace there, got the matches out. I was about to light fire to my Greek textbook when all of a sudden it hid me. What I was about to burn was the New Testament in the original language. <laughs> True story. I'd gotten so lost, so caught up in memorizing the school and, the, and, and how tough it was, I had forgotten that my textbook was actually God's word in the original language. I, I can see, you know, the headline or, or the whatever, Twitter the next day. Seminary student, Burns Bible in original languages. Have a nice day. So I didn't. I didn't. At that moment, I caught myself. But as I look back on that experience, I, I just think, man, how easy it is to lose sight to what it's all about. We get caught up in doing something or caught up in a course or caught up in life and we get so busy in such a hurry, we forget, oh no, this is what it's all about. This is what it really means. So we gather here on Sunday mornings at 11.11 to encourage one another to talk about what it's all about, what it really means and how we live it out. So today's message, today's story is, a, is an iconic story, and I pray that you would listen to the story with fresh ears, you would see this story with fresh eyes. It's found in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 is going to remind you, remind me what it's all about. What's it all about? Luke 10, 25. Let's start there. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want to pause here quickly. 
This right here is the genesis of cancel culture. Before cancel culture was even a thing, it was happening during the time of Christ in the first century. You had religious leaders and political leaders who were always trying to corner and to question Christ in a way to get him on record for saying something and then they would cancel Christ. So that's what's happening here in this passage. That's the context is that this expert, it's always the experts, this expert, this intellectual is trying to corner Christ, trying to get him to say something. And so he throws out this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at verse 26. How does Christ answer? Of course, he answers with a question. He says, what's written in the law? What's written in God's word? How do you read it? Here's what the expert said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus tells us through the lips of this expert who was interrogating him what it's all about. What is it all about? It's all about being made by God. And because I'm made by God, I'm created to love God with all of my heart, all my mind, body, strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. It's all about love. Love is the ultimate language that we're to speak to God and that we're to speak to others. And this expert here in this, in this story, this dialogue he had with Christ, got it right. He got the correct answer about what it was all about. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Things are great until the expert makes a classic sales blunder. Look at verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, you know, who is my neighbor? If you're in sales, just starting off in sales, remember the ABCs. Always be closing. Also in your sales, remember the big fat no-no. Never talk past the sale. This guy talked past the sale. He had it. He had the correct answer, but he had to push it a little bit more because this expert's kind of like you and me. He wanted to justify himself before Christ. So then in this context, Christ tells this simple yet subversive story. He says there was a man who was on a road and he was robbed by a group of thieves. They took the man, they beat him up, they stripped him naked, they took his stuff and left him there to die on the side of the road. As he's lying there on the side of the road, a priest walks by and sees the man who's been beaten and is lying there in the ditch. And the priest just passes on by. And then another priest comes by. It's really a Levite who is an assistant to the priest, assistant to the general manager. And he looks at this same man that's beaten beyond recognition, that's been robbed, 
and he passes by on the other side until finally another gentleman walks by. But this gentleman is, has his, his donkey with him and he sees the man that's hurting and takes him and he has compassion on him and takes his wounds and puts bandages on him, puts him on the back of his donkey and takes this guy to an inn and, and gives the innkeeper some money and says, I'll be back in a couple of days and whatever charges uh, this guy accrues, put it on my bill. And of course, the guy who did this, who helped this man who had been abused and robbed and was lying naked, left to die, was a Samaritan. So, like a good neighbor, the Samaritan is there. Look at verse 36, okay? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say, oh, Samaritan. Jesus said, go and do likewise. So the story of the Good Samaritan has been told millions and millions of times in our culture and around the world. It is the basis for so much compassion and human dignity. It's been woven into the warp and woof of our culture. So when we hear it and we hear Good Samaritan, we think of a good person. The story doesn't have a sting. So I thought about telling the story like this, and I'm not gonna do it, but I thought about telling the story like, you know, you have a guy that's been robbed and beaten up, he's along the side of the road, and Mike Pence walks by and sees him and does nothing. And then another guy walks on the same road, Sean Hannity, and sees this guy beaten up and buddied, and Sean Hannity does nothing. He's got a show to do. And then the third person walks by, and it's Nancy Pelosi. And, and Nancy, I'm not gonna do this, but Nancy Pelosi goes over in the ditch, turns a guy over who's been robbed and is beaten. Who do you think it is? It's Donald Trump. She takes Trump, puts him on her donkey. I'm not gonna do it. Takes Trump to one of her 35 mansions somewhere, heals him up, and goes on her way. I could tell it that way, but I'm not. But I do want to say that tongue in cheek because that kind of stings a little bit when you start, no matter where you are on the side, the political side of the aisle, they're kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. So when people heard that story back in the day, they went, whoa, the Samaritan, the Samaritans were the sworn enemy of these Jewish leaders. The Samaritans hated the Jews, the Jews hated the Samaritans, they hated each other. So many of these parables that we're studying and stories that we, we, we've heard, we've heard them so many, many times, they don't have that sting, they don't have that punch, but this story had a punch. But this story really is not about politics, it's about people. And as usual, Christ here, as he's telling these stories, like I said, it's simple but subversive, is working on so many levels. So let's just look at a few levels, a few of the takeaways that we can glean from this iconic story that we call the Good Samaritan, okay? So first takeaway is this, is that this story shows us how we should see 
people. We should see people as unique individuals valued by God. We are all created equal in the eyes of God. We all have intrinsic value and worth because we're made in the image of God. The foundations for human rights and human dignity are founded and grounded and rooted in this ancient story. The man who's been robbed and beaten is valued in the image of God. The enemy, the Samaritan, is loved and valued in, in the image of God. So on some level, Christ is saying, don't see people in groups. Don't see people in groups. Don't see people as nationalities or races or countries or smart or dumb or whatever you're doing. Do See people as one. So that's one of the messages that he's communicating here. Jesus was always advocating for the least of these. Think about that old um, coming of age story or, or movie called The Breakfast Club that came out in the 80s. I like coming of age stories. I don't know why I do. But The Breakfast Club, in case you haven't seen it, kind of a spoiler alert, but that's okay. It's about these um, high school kids that are thrown into detention on a Saturday. And, and within this group of kids, it's a motley group, but you have every archetypical high school student represented, right? You have the jock, you have the rebel, you have the rich pretty girl, you have the depressed person, and you have the math nerd. And they're all there to serve detention. And so they're all in their typical high school uh, factions, and they get into this library where they're locked in like prison, and they just have to stay there and suffer together. And they hate each other. They all hate each other. And they're just slinging hate at each other, and they're mocking each other, and they're making fun of each other, and they're almost going, you know, combate and getting into a fight with each other. Until finally, as they start working things out, they realize they're all in the same boat. They get to know each other's stories. They get to know each other's background. And finally, as it gets to the end of the story of the film, they see each other as someone who is a fellow human being with value and dignity. This story on this top level is about how we see others as valued and made in the image of God. I like what Haddon Robinson said. He said, who you are determines what you see and what you see determines what you do. The Levite and the priest saw the situation, saw the pain, saw the hurt, but they didn't do anything. The Samaritan saw it, had compassion, and took action. Which leads us to another major takeaway from the story. Perhaps you know that when there is a State of the Union address, the, the press will often ask, the, the president's press secretary, who is going to be the Skutnik? Or, or who are the Skutniks tonight? 
And what they mean is, in presidential addresses, usually the president will put someone up in the balcony to recognize them, a firefighter, a policeman, someone in the military, to say, hey, they've done an honorable job, this is an exemplary citizen. That's called the Skutnik. And the reason they call it the Skutnik is that the tradition of having someone in the balcony during the presidential address can go all the way back to the 80s, it's about the 80s today, and Ronald Reagan. Because here's what happened. Back in, I can't remember what year it was, but in, in the 80s, there was a plane crash that was taken off from, they were taken off from Dulles in Washington, D.C., going to Florida. There was ice on the wings, and the plane crashed in the Potomac River in D.C. So emergency people get on the scene, helicopters are on the scene. I mean, it's chaos, and they're trying to rescue people and pull them out of the icy cold Potomac River. So the helicopter is, you know, lowering down the, the ladder. People are getting it, climbing into it. Others are hurled up in baskets. And there's this one situation where there's this lady and she's trying to get the rope and she can't get it. And she tries to get the rope again and she can't get it. Now you can stay just so long in cold water before hypothermia hits and you're gone. So there was a guy who was watching this. He was in the crowd in the scene and he broke through the crowd, broke through the yellow tape and dove into the Potomac and got this lady and brought her ashore and rescued her. And this guy's name was Lenny Skutnik. So Reagan, forever the actor, right, had the idea of, hey, he heard about the story. Hey, let's put this guy, Lenny Skutnik, in the balcony for the State of the Union, and I will recognize him and say, that's what we need to be like. We need to be like Lenny, and we need to be able to sacrifice your fellow Americans. And so... All the presidents sent in, Democrat and Republican, have followed suit, and they almost always have what's known as a Skutnik in the balcony, in the gallery. This story is about Skutniks, isn't it? It's about someone who was willing to step out of their comfort zone and to go and to sacrifice and to help someone who is hurting. So we have to see others as made in God's image, as intrinsically valuable to him, and we have to sacrifice to help others. So many times we don't do that. We don't do that because we're too busy. We're in a hurry, right? We can't do that. We can't you know, go to the other side of the road. We can't jump in the water. We can't get involved. We can't get our hands dirty because we're too busy. We're in a hurry and we miss opportunities to be the Skutnik, the Good Samaritan. Now, the good news is we don't always do that. Matter of fact, I was talking to a friend of mine about this message and about our church. I said, you know, the great thing about our church is we have a lot of people, a lot of young people, a lot of men and women who are Scotniks, who are Good Samaritans. And whenever there's a need in our city, whenever there's a need, they see it. They don't just feel bad about it or get sad about it or post about it. They actually get their hands dirty and do something. So believe it or not, if you're new to second, you know, beyond, you know, what they're wearing and the coffee breath, there are good Samaritans 
seated all around you. There are Skutniks that are here that are making a difference in helping people. This story reminds us in such a profound way that we are to take the time, slow down, go to the other side of the road and help those who are hurting. We can see three attitudes represented in the story. You see the robbers, their their attitude was, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. The priests, their attitude was, what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. But the Samaritan's attitude was, what's mine is yours and I will share it. I'll share it. Because love with action is the ultimate language. Mark Twain, who's pretty good at turning a phrase, said that kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Or to put it another way, one act of kindness is worth a lifetime of knowledge. Jesus, again, communicating on many levels here, but he's saying to his listeners, hey, your enemy got it right. Your enemy made the right choice. Your enemy made the risky choice. Your enemy made the restorative choice. How about you? How about me? Will we make the right choice, the risky choice, the restorative choice? Or will we walk on by? Will we pass by on the other side? See people. See them as God sees them, as made in his image. Sacrifice to help others. And we can't miss this final insight to this message. We can't miss it. We can't miss it. And that is we have to surrender our need, surrender your need to justify yourself. Because what Christ was doing in this dialogue with this expert, he was trying to say this. (laughs) He was saying, listen, no one perfectly loves God with their heart, mind, body, and soul. No one does that. No one perfectly loves their neighbor as much as they love themselves. No one always acts as a good Samaritan. We're all guilty of being a Levite or a priest and passing on by on the other side. So he's also pointing this expert and pointing us to the gospel, pointing us to our need to be forgiven. He's pointing us to the ultimate good Samaritan, and that's Christ himself. Christ is the ultimate good Samaritan who crossed the other side of the road and bandaged up our wounds and began that healing process in our lives. He is the one who spent his money, his costly love, which was his blood and his sacrificial substitutionary death for for you and for me. So the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news for people who realize that they're in the ditch, 
people who realize they are sick and need a doctor, people who realize that they don't measure up to God's standard perfection and who need an inbreak of God's grace. We need to trust in the ultimate good Samaritan who is Christ himself in order to be justified before God. We're justified before God. We're accepted before God, not because we're religious, not because we're righteous, not even because we actually help people who are hurting. That's simply the fruit. We're justified before God because of what God has done for us in Christ. That makes sense? So the gospel is a gospel not of works. It's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of grace. And this grace compels us as we freely receive in from God, this receive from God, this forgiveness, this love, this acceptance in Christ. In turn, we give our lives to others. Not in order to be saved or to be justified or accepted, but because we already are saved, justified, accepted in Christ, the ultimate Good Samaritan. You know, I, 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 I do the, you know, the, the Levite and the priest shuffle and walk on by. I've, I've done it. But, but sometimes, sometimes you get drawn in, right, or led to, to do something, to act. So remember I told you I, uh, languages I took Greek, and Spanish. So I took Spanish actually after I graduated from college when I was in seminary taking Greek. And I, and I didn't want to take it. It was not offered at the school, but I just kind of felt something like, I don't know, I didn't hear a voice from God, but like, man, you need to learn Spanish. It's like, I'm in school, I'm taking Greek. I, I'm suffering through that. Learn Spanish, relearn it, really learn it. I said, okay, so I started learning Spanish. And I'm pretty good at it, I'm okay. And about seven years after that, I was in Orlando for a conference with a friend of mine. And uh, we had a break and we went down to Cocoa Beach. It's about 50 miles from Orlando. Went there, had a good time, we're on our way back. Uh, and we're about midway through there to, to back to Orlando. We stopped at a convenience store to get some gas and Gatorade. I'm wearing bathing suit, flip-flop, white t-shirt. I look great. So, I go there and we pull up to the convenience store and they're in a car, my friend and I. We notice there's a big crowd of people that have gathered around one of the gas pumps. So we park and we stop and we walk over and we look. There's a six-year-old boy lying on the pavement by a gas pump and his dad. And they're asking for help in Spanish because they don't speak English. So I go in and I start talking to them, you know, trying to understand what they're doing. Then Pretty soon, within minutes, the paramedics come on the scene. And the paramedics are there. And they're asking questions to this father through me. I'm the translator. Again, I'm not fluent, but okay, I knew a little bit. So I'm translating, 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 trying to help. This, this little boy looks like he is dying right in front of us, and we can't figure out what's wrong. And so the paramedic said, hey, point to me, you're, you're coming with us. Okay. So they throw me in the back of the ambulance. 
uh, with the little boys on the stretcher and his dad, and we're just flying down some highway in Florida trying to make it to the ER, and, 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 and I'm trying to translate these medical terms in Spanish that I don't know to the dad to tell the boy what they're going about to do to him to try to save him. And so they're working on him and giving him shots and doing things like that. We finally screech into the ER, and uh, I walk in there with him. My friend followed us in the rent-a-car, and, and I got in there, and we got into to see a doctor, ASAP, and, and they, he was able to talk and work with the boy and work on him some more, and they, and they brought him back to life. And the kid lived. And they made me fill out a little paperwork, and then I left. I left. And it was like, wow. That was why <laughs> I, I, I was led to learn Spanish seven, eight years ago. I didn't know why, right? Yeah. I didn't know why. But God would use that for that moment to help, to be one of the helpers to be involved in that experience. So it doesn't matter, you know, the language, Greek or Spanish, the ultimate language that God has shown to us that we're to show to others is, is the language of love, language of love. Help us, God, help us to see, help us to see.